stay standing and let's open with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for the privilege of being called children of God. Thank you for the honour of having the word of God in our lives, in our hands, that we can hold, that we can read. And uh, Lord, that we can uh, dig into that word. Father, I pray that you would anoint me to speak your word today and you'd anoint ears and hearts to hear and receive. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. All right. So last week we had a look at um, how Jesus is coming again. And we started with um, John chapter 14, Jesus' amazing promise to his people, to the believers. And it says this, Jesus is talking to them, let not your hearts be troubled. He began to tell them that he had to go away and that um, he would die and then he would have to go back to the Father. And so that was troubling to them. I can't imagine having Jesus with you in the flesh and then being told he's not going to be around with you much longer. But he gave them this promise. He said, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. This was really cool in um, Kids Club. Marion asked the children, because it says God goes to prepare a place for you. And he's building a room for you specifically in heaven. And so she asked the children, what's in your room? What do you think would be in your room in heaven? And some of them said, oh, maybe Jesus will be there. And I'm like, yeah, definitely. And one kid goes, Lego! <laughs> His room's got Lego in it. I thought that was very cute. But you know what? He knows you so well. He knows exactly what color and color scheme to put in your room. He knows exactly what things you like. He loves you with an everlasting love. And he's going to prepare a place for you. And then he says, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. It's like you become a gift. He comes and receives you. That where I am, there you may be also. So this is a promise that Jesus gave now nearly 2,000 years ago. And every generation of believers has been waiting for this promise to be fulfilled. But I want to just clarify a few things. We looked at this last week. Um, angels confirmed the promise when Jesus ascended into heaven. They said to the disciples, this same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So they confirmed again what Jesus said. He is going to come again and he's going to come the same way that he left. The same way that he left, he's going to come for his people. And that's super exciting. And um, this is still just a quick recap from last week. Um, I just want to, to go over. Um, just making sure. So, okay. We looked at how we can trust the Bible. And 
I love this. 452 times in the King James Version of the Bible, it says, and it came to pass. So when God says something, he does it. And we know from Jesus' first coming, which fulfilled over 300 specific prophecies in the Bible, spanning hundreds of years, we know that God will fulfill every word in his book exactly the same way, to the finest detail. The Word of God has a perfect track record. You know, there's other books that claim that they are prophecy books or that they can predict the future, but all of them have only come to pass, eh, you know, maybe 30, 40, 50%. They haven't been 100% accurate, but the Bible, 100% accurate. Uh, Matthew made this point in his gospel. Nine times we read how that it might be fulfilled that this happened and that happened. That it might be fulfilled what was spoken by the prophets. Like Jesus being born in Bethlehem. We just sing the songs and we think nothing of it. But he was born in Bethlehem because it was fulfillment of prophecy. For him to be the Messiah, he had to be born in Bethlehem. He had to be or else he wouldn't be fulfilling the scriptures spoken hundreds of years ago. Then there was other things with Jesus' birth that Matthew picks up on. You know, that he came out of Nazareth. He'd be called a Nazarene. That was another prophecy. Out of Egypt, it goes on and on. Matthew specifies all this happened that it might be fulfilled. So the word of God is reliable. We then looked at some of the um, current news headlines and how that's tying in with Bible prophecy for today, and I won't go through all of them again, but just a couple here. Uh, Jerusalem would be a point of contention for all nations. So there's a headline there that says, the battle over the Middle East ultimate prize, Jerusalem. And, and you know, it's amazing to me that in the United Nations, more than any other topic, Israel, and more specifically Jerusalem, is what is discussed. Why? It's all part of Bible prophecy and end-time events as we see them unfolding. Jesus told us some signs to look for, for his coming. He said, you will hear of wars and rumours of wars, that this would be one of the signs of his return. Well, the rumours of wars are increasing by the day. I could, I could fill the rest of our time with headlines of wars and rumours of wars. How many of you have seen anything recently that is indicating rumours of wars growing more by the day. Um, constantly we are seeing these things begin to merge just as the scripture foretold. It said there would be famines before his return. We're seeing food shortages worldwide and they are increasing. Crop failures, crops being flooded, it goes on and on. And there's so many. But today I want to get into a few other things. I do want to recap this as well. Um, what do we mean by the phrase, Jesus is coming back? Because that means different things to different people. So I just want to cover this off and then we're going to get into some really fun stuff. So there are two phases to Jesus' second coming. When we talk about him coming back again. There are two phases, and I'm going to cover those off um, quickly for you. So the first one, Jesus is coming for his people. 
And that's exciting for me. That is why the scripture calls it our blessed hope. We have a blessed hope of his glorious appearing. It's a blessed hope because he's coming back for us. That's exciting. I can't wait to see him face to face. I am pretty sure I know what my response is going to be because um, there was a man of God that I greatly respected and had been really blessed by his ministry over the years growing up as a kid and a teenager. And I went to a conference and he was a speaker there and I met him in the elevator. And I wanted to just say to him, oh man, like I just... I've been so blessed by your ministry. I just really appreciate you. And, and I just wanted to say hi and God bless you. But I couldn't say a word. I was just like, and my husband's going, why don't you say something? I couldn't get anything out because there was this big lump in my throat. And I'm like, I'm going to cry and embarrass myself. And so I just didn't say anything. And he left the elevator and I'm like, yeah, thanks. But, yeah, and I kind of feel like when I see Jesus face to face, I'm going to be the same, like, oh, ah, I'm so happy to see you. But anyway, who knows what our response will be. But he is coming for us. And so I've got some scriptures here that we can um, go through. But this is the second phase of his second coming, that Jesus is coming with his people and if we don't get the distinction correct, it can be really confusing as you're reading through Matthew 24, Revelation, Daniel 9, some of these, uh, Zechariah 12, some of these scriptures are really confusing if you don't understand that there's two phases to his coming. Let's look at these scriptures together. So John 14, we already read this one, but I want to emphasize it says, in my father's house, are many mansions and then he says I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am you may be also so he is in the father's house so he's coming back for us and taking us to be where he is uh, 1 Thessalonians 4 16 to 17 says for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. So how many have got dead in Christ that have gone on before you? I can't wait to see my mom and dad again. And then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds. Remember, Jesus, the same way he went, he's going to come meet us in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall ever be with the Lord. 1 Thessalonians 5.9 also says, God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. And he is in the Father's house at the moment. So that's his, the first phase where he's coming for his people. Then we have... Just to, and look, I could give you probably at least another 20 more scriptures in each of these categories, but for the sake of time, I'm just pulling out a few highlights for you today. Okay, Jesus coming back with his people. So after seven years, we go to be with Jesus after seven years, and that is the time of Jacob's trouble. The scripture refers to it as the great tribulation. 
a time of great turmoil and judgment, the wrath of God being poured out on the earth. Um, Ephesians 2 calls it this, that his wrath will be poured out on the sons of disobedience, those who rejected Jesus. You know, Jesus said, I am the way. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. So people who reject Jesus cannot get to the Father. And if they reject Jesus, they have rejected the only way to eternal life. So then they have to pay for their own sins. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So if we don't accept Jesus, who is eternal life, then we have to pay the wages ourselves. So that's what the second part of his coming is all about. It is Jesus coming back after judgment on those who rejected him to set up his kingdom on the earth. And that's going to be exciting. So here's a couple of scriptures here. And um, this is going to be amazing. It says that uh, we're, we're riding with him. The saints are coming with him. So we have a bird's eye view of this whole thing. And I'll be like, yeah, Jesus, come on. So cool, sorry, but I can't wait to see Satan get what's coming to him. All right, so here's what it says. Now, did any of you ever just get fed up with that sly fox of a devil? I mean, yes, come on. I like these verses. All right, Revelation 19. Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. Can I just make a point here? Thank God we have a righteous God and a just God. Because not only is he loving and kind, and his love is beyond what we can fathom, but he's just. So I know having children, I have to make everything very fair. How many other parents have had that where that's not fair, you gave him that and you didn't give me or they got more or you have to be fair, right? You have to do what's right. Well, how much more our Heavenly Father has to do what's right? He is a God of justice as well. All right. He judges in righteousness and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. So there we have them coming back, the saints coming back with Jesus at this point. And it says, Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Ooh, that always makes me want to shout when I get to that point. Okay, Jude 14 to 15. A little book in the Bible, the book of Jude. And he, he also confirms this. Now, Enoch the seventh from Adam prophesied about these men, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints 
to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have committed in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which the ungodly sinners have spoken against him. So that is the second phase of Jesus' second coming. His people coming with him to the earth, and he will reign for a thousand years. Now, I'm going to show you some stuff from Scripture that's going to confirm some of this, and it's going to be exciting. But I want to tell you a story of a little boy who was um, out in the yard, and he's got his arms up, and then he falls flat on his face to the ground. And then he gets up, and he does it again. He falls down to the ground. By the third time, his mum comes out and he says, Smith, what are you doing? He said, I'm trying to see if my shadow fits. It's very cute. But you know what? The, the Bible talks about shadows. That the Old Testament has lots of shadows of what would be manifest in the flesh in the New Testament. And so we're going to see if the shadows fit today. And this is fun. When I first began to hear about this, it changed everything for me. I got so excited. So God gives us glimpses of things to come and tells us enough of what it is going to look like that when it comes, we'll recognize it. So who can tell me what that shadow is? What do we think that might be? A cow. A cow? A wolf? Fox? I'd say fox. Um, pointy ears, bushy tail, skinny little legs. How many have seen a fox in real life? Yeah? Do you think the shadow would fit? Yeah? So even though that's not a fox, it's just a shadow of one, it's enough like it that we can recognize the real deal. Let me give you another example. Okay, we've got an outline, then a shadow, and then the full colour. But they're enough like each other that you can recognise from the first one that it's the same as the last one. All right, so we're going to go to 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 3 to 6. Now, I need some volunteers to read scriptures for me today. So uh, keep that in mind. Be ready to put your hand up for me. And um, Russell, if I can have another cordless mic, that would be wonderful. All right. Peter, writing this epistle, says, knowing this first. So this is the... Ooh. Hello? Thank you. This is the first thing we should know. Knowing this first. The scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lust and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they willfully forget that by the word of God, the heavens were of old and the earth sitting in the water and out of the water by by which the world that then existed perished and flooded with water. Okay, this is really important. 
He says something is going to happen, and you need to know this first. In the last days, scoffers are going to come. And there's two specific things, or three actually. Three things about these scoffers. Firstly, they're walking according to their own lust. Do you think any of the early disciples of Jesus would have said, oh, I hope Jesus doesn't come back today. I've got a 10-year plan and I've got a career to pursue. They gave up everything to follow Jesus, didn't they? They left it all. In fact, every moment of their life was lived in submission to his will as Jesus taught them to do. Jesus lived every moment of his life in submission to his Father's will. But these scoffers are walking according to their own lust. And they're saying, where's the promise of his coming? We've heard it all before. I've heard Jesus is coming my whole life. So it's not going to happen. I mean, after all, everything just continues the way it was since the beginning of creation. Well, two things about that. Since the beginning of creation, has everything always continued the way it was? Can you think of any event that might have changed everything? Maybe you can think of several. The days of Noah come to mind when everything was no longer normal. What they're saying is, everything is going to always be the way it is. The Bible says that's not true. There is a day of reckoning coming. They willfully forget that by the word of God, the heavens were evolved. They don't want to know. I don't want to give an account to God. They willfully forget. But I'm going to show you that we are in the last days and we can be excited about his coming. I'm going to give you some keys today. Who likes having keys? Who's good at losing keys? <laughs> Me? <laughs> Jeremy's like jiggling his keys. The sound effects, thanks to you. All right, key number one. I love this. Isaiah 46.10 gives us this amazing verse. It's talking about God, that he is declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things that are not yet done saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. That's why when I look at the news and I see people like wicked people just bringing about wars and, you know, murders and all this stuff, I have a really wonderful assurance within me that no matter what mankind tries to do, God's counsel and purpose will stand. What he says is what's going to happen. I'm putting my faith in his word. Now, he said he declared the end from the beginning. Here's another key. 2 Peter 3, 8, he says, But beloved, do not forget this one thing. So it must be super important. That with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. Now, these two things are super important to 
um, interpreting end-time events and Bible prophecy. So let me bring up a little timeline sort of thing here for you. If we go to Genesis, the first book of the Bible, because that's the beginning. Genesis means beginnings, by the way. So the book of beginnings, Genesis, tells us how everything began. Now remember, in Isaiah 46, it said God declared the end from the beginning. So we should be able to go to the beginning and figure out what's going to happen in the end. Because that's what he did. Then Peter tells us a key. Now the first seven days of creation were literal days. The Bible says the evening and the morning were the first day, the evening and the morning were the second day. So we know it's talking about 24-hour period. But this is also a shadow of what was to come. So Peter says a day with the Lord is as a thousand years. So from the very outset of creation, he set the timeline for this earth. That one day would be like a thousand years, so there'd be 7,000 years of history on this earth. Remember in Revelation, God makes a new heaven and a new earth. So this is God speaking the end from the beginning. All right, I have to move fast, sorry, there's so much to get through. All right, so here I want my first reader, Genesis 1, 14 to 19. Who wants to read for me? Or did I see a hand over here? Who's going to read? Come on. Someone, Janita, you've got your Bible open. You're going to read for me. Thank you. Okay, Genesis 1. 14 to 19. We're going to just have a look at day four of creation. Uh, one, 14 to 19. And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of heaven to separate the day and the night, and let them be signs and tokens of God's provident care, and to mark seasons, days, and years. Let them be, let them be lights in the expanse of the sky to give light upon the earth, and it was so. And God made them two great lights, the greater light, the sun, to rule the day, and the lesser light, the moon, to rule the night, he also made the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good, fitting, pleasant, and he approved it. And there was evening and there was morning, a fourth day. Thank you so much, Rita. So, day four, what happens? The sun is made. The sun, the moon, the stars. The sun comes into the earth. That's what happens day four. Now, if we're looking at one day is as a thousand years, if we were to fast forward from Adam, 4,000 years of human history, we have another sun appearing, Jesus came on day four. The son of righteousness began to walk on the earth. You see, God spoke the end from the beginning. 
So he said day four the sun would come, and he did. 4,000 years into the history to the day Jesus came. His birth was exact, so exact. The sun came. I have one more illustration, and that's all I'm going to get through, even though there's so much I could do. Um, but I want to go to John chapter 11. So if we can turn there in our Bibles, I really encourage you to bring your Bibles to church. Um, it's so good to go through the Word together. So turn to the New Testament, to the book of John. We're going to go uh, chapter 11. And um, I'm going to start in, in verse 1. So... Here. All right. There was a certain man who was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore the sister sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to his disciples, Let us go to Judea again. He hears Lazarus is sick, but he waits two days. Why? I'm going to skip down in the story uh, to verse 17. So Jesus came. When Jesus came, he found that he, Lazarus, had already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away, and many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Something has happened here. Lazarus has been dead for four days. Lazarus is a type and shadow of all mankind. Sick and then dying. What was the disease? The Bible tells us what Jeremy said this morning, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So Lazarus represents mankind dead in their sins. But when does Jesus come? After four days. On the fourth day, remember, the sun comes. And here we have the same pattern happening again. And what happens on the fourth day? Well, Martha's upset and she says, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Jesus tells her he will rise again. And she's like, yeah, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. In verse 25, Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Wow. I think the same question he's asking of us today. The Son of God has come. To help a dead, sin-dead world. And if you will just believe, you can have everlasting 
life. Okay, I'm going to skip down now. Jesus said, where have you laid him? And they take him to the tomb. I'm now in verse 38. Then Jesus, again groaning in himself, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there is a stench, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? <clears throat> then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. <clears throat> and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And I know that you always hear me. But because of the people who were standing by said this, that they may believe that you sent me. Now when he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, loose him and let him go. All right, I need um, two volunteers, please. And can I can I take another five minutes or so? Are you happy for me to keep going? Yeah. All right. Jeremy pinched along my time. So, okay, I need two volunteers. Just come on up. Two, quick, 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 because I'm running short on time. Jeremy. Thanks, Jeremy. I need another volunteer. Janine. Thanks, Janine. <laughs> Jeremy as a Lazarus. He's just come forth, alright? Alright, so put your arms down like this, yep, and we're gonna go around around his shoulders and arms, alright? No, he had a cloth over Um, where's Beth Boland? Can you get me a tea towel out of the cupboard, please, for his face? Thank you. Oh, it's all right. We have one that was prepared earlier. <laughs> oh, and my catching ability is um, is not very good, but I'll put it on later. So, you, or would you rather not see everyone looking at you? <laughs> That's all right. I do have another bandage there if we want to do a bit more. Come on. Another one down here. Yep. <laughs> All right. Now, Jesus has brought Lazarus to life. Come forth. And out he comes. It says, take away the stone. Jesus, when he came on the fourth day or the 4,000th year of history, he did something about the stone the law that was written in stone, he fulfilled it 100% to the T. He completely fulfilled the law. And now he's saying, take away the stone. You can't get to me through that stone. The law will kill you. It will show you how, how bad you are. It will show you your need of a saviour. But it can't save you. <laughs> 
So he's saying, take away the stone. Thank you, Janine. That was awesome. You've done a wonderful job. Now, Lazarus comes out. And I think a lot of us are the same. Jesus calls us to come and follow him. We hear his voice and for the first time, we are alive. We are alive. We are no longer dead in our sin. But this is often what happens. We come out of our tombs. Jesus calls us. We even sing the song, you know, he called my name and I came out of that grave. What are we saying? We're saying, I'm a new creation. He made me new. But he says, hey, take off the grave clothes. Oh, here we go. <laughs> right. So you know what? To fully follow Jesus, you actually need to let go of some stuff. You need to let go of the things that defined you as a dead person who didn't know Jesus. You're not that person anymore. You're, you're no longer blind. What's the song, Amazing Grace? I once was blind, but now I see. That's better, isn't it? Is that better? <laughs> but he says, loose him and let him go. And I want to challenge you today. What parts of your old dead life are you still carrying around and not embracing the new life that Jesus has given you? Are you hanging on to unforgiveness? Because you know unforgiveness and bitterness makes you look like this. You might think, I can't let go of what they've done, thinking you're binding them, but you're not. You're binding yourself. What else? Is there sin that's just, you need to let go of it and realize that is not who you are anymore. You are a child of God. Loose him. Let him go. It's time to get rid of those bondages, the old past, the old you. I believe with all my heart that God is calling us to be a people of holiness, to be separate from the world. You shouldn't look like your old dead self anymore. You should look like the new you in Christ Jesus. You should be free. Does that feel better? Uh, can, can, you, can you do some movement? Oh, look at that. You know what? Lazarus rose from the dead at Jesus' command. And then you know what? The Pharisees hated it because he was going everywhere going, man, Jesus made me alive. Jesus made me alive. Jesus made me alive. And do you know what it says? The Pharisees plotted to kill him. I always think that's hilarious. Jesus just rose him from the dead. Like, if you're killing me, just raise him up again. See, that's the thing. We should be dead to our old life and so alive in God that even if people threaten to kill us, what did Jesus say? I am the resurrection and the life. If you believe in me, you will never die. Amen. You can kill this body, but you can't kill me. future we have in him is glorious. 1 Thessalonians said that one day the trump of God is going to sound and the dead in Christ are going to rise first. But those of us alive who remain, we're going to be caught up together with them to meet the Lord in the air. 
We're going to be with the Jesus who set us free. We should be looking and excited and eager for his return because he should be everything to us. Not just like an accessory that, oh, I need Jesus in this moment, so I'll just pick him up like a bag. Jesus is our life, and he wants to be our life. I have so much more, but let me just skip through. I want to finish with these last two scriptures. Jeremiah 31.3. I didn't read this account in, in John. I skipped this verse. But when they took Jesus to see the place where Lazarus was, dead and buried in that tomb. Verse 35 said, Jesus wept. I wonder if God and his son and the Holy Spirit in heaven and there, they're looking at a broken and dead humanity, just like Lazarus. And they're saying, what, what are we going to do? It had already made the point earlier that Jesus loved Lazarus. So Jesus comes. He comes to do something about it. I love this verse. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Even before the first words of creation, let there be light. He loved you with an everlasting love. He knew you before the foundation of the world. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. My prayer today is that you feel the Lord drawing you. You know, he doesn't want you to follow him out of a head knowledge. He wants a relationship with you. I don't get up and pray the same prayer every morning because I have a vibrant relationship with God. So when I get up, every morning's different. Some mornings I go, oh, good morning. I can't wait to see what we get up to today. And other mornings I go, oh, Lord, I've woken up with a kink here and a kink there. Do you reckon you could fix that? Oh, because we're real with each other. He's He's my best friend. He's my God. He's my King. He's the lover of my soul. He's loved you with an everlasting love. And look at this beautiful promise. Found in the book of Hebrews 10, 35 to 37. Therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward. For you have need of endurance so that after you've done the will of God, you may receive the promise. Remember what the promise was? I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'll come back and receive you to myself. Verse 37, for yet a little while, and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. Would you stand to your feet with me today, please? Jesus is coming. First he's coming for his people, then judgment is poured out on the earth, then he comes with his people to set up his kingdom. I want you part of that first category. Jesus comes for you. 
give you a moment in this place, those watching online, to make that decision that I'm going to follow Jesus. And I'm not talking about, a, like I said, well, this will be practical in this moment. I'll just accept Jesus for the moment that I'm in need, but the rest of my life I'll live without him. When Jesus called Lazarus to come forth, when he called his disciples, come follow me, he was actually asking you to do what he did for you. He gave his life for you. Now he's saying, will you give your life to me? Will you be willing to lay aside your sins, your addictions, your past, everything, and give your life 100%? Hey, I'm yours. Ah. Can I tell you there is no life and no joy like the life and the joy you receive in Jesus? It's incredible. It's well worth the exchange. My sin, my shame, my brokenness for his purity and love and holiness. Would you bow your heads with me for those in this room, those watching online? If you want to make Jesus the Lord of your life, if you want to follow him, if you want to believe in him, if you want to belong to him, I'd like you to raise your hand today and say, Nita, that's me. I want to put my trust in this Jesus. I believe he is the only way. Thank you. I can see that hand. Is there anyone else? Anita, count me in. I want to believe in Jesus. I want to be the one that he comes for. I want to receive this forgiveness of my sins. Thank you for those hands. You see those hands. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? Let's pray. I'm going to lead you in a simple prayer. Why don't you repeat after me? Heavenly Father, I come to you broken as a sinner. I confess that Jesus is my Savior. Wash me clean. Forgive me of my sins. I choose to follow you for the rest of my life. Make me a child of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Wow. Guess what? There's some more rooms going up in the Father's house. Now you're coming, you're coming, you're coming, you're coming. So awesome. Let me pray for you, church. Father, I thank you for your people. I thank you for the glorious promise you've given us that you will come again and receive us to you, that we can be with you forever. Oh, Lord, we can hardly wait for you to come, but in the meantime, I pray that you would fill us afresh with the Holy Spirit, that we would be like Lazarus, unbound, going into all the world and saying, Jesus made me alive and he can make you alive too. Give us a boldness to share the gospel. Grant us opportunities. Bring us to those who are lost. And Lord, I ask that you give us the word and season for them. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you. Did you want to add anything, Jeremy? No? Oh, good. Tea and coffee in the foyer. Have a wonderful week and be blessed.